Today we're going to continue on with our sermon series, The Mothers of Jesus. And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, flip to Matthew chapter 1, it's on page 807. Why are we doing this? Why are we looking at the genealogy of Jesus? Well, because you can learn a lot about a person by getting to know their family. Am I right? You learn a lot about somebody by getting to know their family. I remember the first time I met Brittany's mom. We, were, we weren't dating yet, but we were starting to hang out, you know, you know, that stage where it's like we're not sure what we are. We haven't had a DTR yet, but we're getting to know one another. And Brittany's mom was in town visiting her at college, and I happened to be over hanging out at Brittany's college dorm room. The door was open. It was visiting hours. We went to a Christian school. And her mom comes into the dorm room, and we meet each other, and, and I just remember this ball of energy that was Terry, my future wife's mother-in-law. I didn't know that at the time, but she instantly introduced herself. She had so much energy, so much enthusiasm. She grabbed Brittany's photo book and showed me all of Brittany's life, exactly probably what Brittany didn't want her to do. And then I remember later on in our relationship meeting Brittany's dad, this stable, steady, faithful man. So we have this ball of energy and excitement and this stable, steady, faithful person. I thought, if the two of those have created a person named Brittany, and she has a little bit of both of that, I'm all in. This is great. And as I got to know her family, it, it helped me to understand more about Brittany. As she got to know my family, it helped her to understand more about me. That's why anytime you go and see a counselor or a therapist or a pastor, oftentimes there's these questions about your family. As we understand our family of origin, we get to understand the person, how the different situations, how different experiences affect us and how we respond to things in the moment. And so we are looking at the genealogy of Jesus because as we look at Jesus' family tree, as we understand his family of origin, it helps us to see God's glory. It helps us to see that, that God loves to redeem broken people in broken places. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we're diving into this genealogy, and as you know, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, we're looking at specifically the women mentioned in the genealogy, which is pretty rare in the Bible. Genealogies traced down through the male line, through the father, and there's five women mentioned here in Matthew chapter 1. There's Tamar, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, Rahab, who we talked about last week, Ruth, who we're going to talk about today, and then um, the wife of Uriah is how she's referred to here in Matthew chapter 1. We'll talk about her next week and understand why she's referred to as the wife of Uriah. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus. But we're looking at these, these women, these mothers, these grandmothers of Jesus. And so today we come to Ruth. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Remember, we talked about Rahab last week, the poor pagan prostitute who who marries into the people of Israel. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And so this morning, we're going to stop and we're going to look at Ruth. As we look at the story of Ruth, here's the big idea this morning. We see that God redeems bad decisions, bold pagans, and bitter Christians. Is that good news? God redeems bad decisions... Bold pagans and bitter Christians. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in your life? Yeah. 
we're all in that boat, right? How many of you at one point were a pagan? You, you didn't believe the God of the Bible. You didn't follow Jesus. You had different gods, different thought processes, different worldview. Probably some of you. And how many of you, maybe you've been a Christian forever, but maybe you're bitter. Maybe you've struggled with bitterness. I would guess that this applies to all of us. This is the good news that we're going to see this morning as we look at the story of Ruth. And so to do that, we're going to read Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to call Angie, hit it all forward. She's going to read Ruth chapter 1 for us. It's on page 222 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, open that up and uh, get your eyes on God's Word with us this morning. If you would, please stand while I read the chapter. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, 
Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thanks, Angie. Let's pray. Father, would you cause this word to come alive to us this morning? You have said that your word is living and active, so I pray that we would experience that this morning as we look at Ruth chapter 1. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, this is a, a beautiful story, and we're only going to look at chapter 1 today. It's four chapters, so I encourage you to leave today and go read the rest of the book so that you can see how all of this unfolds. But what we see right here so clearly in chapter 1 is that God redeems bad decisions, bold pagans, and bitter Christians. It starts out with this idea of bad decisions right here in verses 1 through 5. What happens here is this man, Elimelech, moves his family from Bethlehem. Heard of that town before? A little town of Bethlehem. So, see, so we're being rooted here, even in the places of Jesus, years before his birth in the town of Bethlehem. Here's what God was doing. He was unfolding his plan of redemption. And so Elimelech is this, is this Israelite. He's this Jew who's from the town of Bethlehem. He's living in Bethlehem with his wife Naomi. And there's a famine in the land. There's, there's not enough food to eat. There's hard times, financial hard times. It's like a recession happening in Bethlehem. And so Elimelech does what many normal people do when they're, when they're thinking about life circumstances rather than spiritual realities. He makes a decision to move his family from Bethlehem to Moab because there's not a famine in Moab. There's, there's opportunity for them in Moab. He says, I'm going to move my family out of these financial hard times into a place where there's more opportunity for us. Now, that may sound normal and right and good and like a fine thing. Many people move for jobs. Many people move for financial reasons. Many people move. It's not a big deal. It's not wrong to move. It's not a sin to move for a job, for finances. But this was. See, God had forbidden his people to be among the Moabites. The Moabites, those people living in the land of Moab, they were, they were descendants of Lot. Lot and his daughter. There was this incestual relationship between Lot and his daughter, and this, this, this nation, the Moabites, came from that. They were a pagan nation who worshipped a god named Chemosh and, and other gods as well, but their primary god was Chemosh. He was, a, he was a god, and their worship was that of sex and violence. Just a pagan, ruthless nation. And so Elimelech, thinking financially, thinking, thinking circumstantially, thinks, I'm going to move my family from God's people, from Israel, from Bethlehem, even though hard times have fallen upon us. I'm, I'm not going to stay with God's people. I'm not going to stay with my God. I'm going to move my family into the pagan epicenter around us to try and make money. And this is, this is just a bad decision. It's a bad decision because God had forbidden his people to be with the Moabites. He actually says in Deuteronomy chapter 23 that Moabites weren't allowed into the temple, into the worship of God. And we're going to see how God redeems this, but we have to first look at this bad decision that Elimelech makes. So he moves his family there, his, his wife Naomi and his two sons, and what happens? They move into this foreign land, this pagan land, and Elimelech dies. 
His two sons marry Moabite women. This isn't the way to do it. Like, like men, fathers of families, we need to think through, where do we raise our family? What kind of people do we want them around? Do we root them in God's people? Are, are we immersing our family in the church, in the people of God? Elimelech did not do that. He pulled his family out of the church, essentially. He pulled his family out of the worship of God. He pulled his family out of the assembly of God's people, went to Moab, where he then died, leaving his wife a widow. And in the biblical culture, to be a widow was an extremely fearful thing. I mean, it is in most cultures. But especially in the biblical culture, they oftentimes, oftentimes the women were illiterate, they didn't have jobs, they didn't have a way to, to provide for themselves, and so to be left as a widow left you extremely vulnerable. Most widows fell into poverty. And so they're in this foreign land, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi as a widow, and his two sons marry Moabite women, which they're not supposed to do, but they do it because Elimelech had moved his family here. Of course they're going to marry the women that they're around. Those are their only options. They're young dudes. They want to get married. They want to do the things that young people do when they get married. And they marry these Moabite women, and then they die. And so Elimelech's bad decision leaves his wife, Naomi, and Ruth and Orpah, the, the two Moabite women that Elimelech's Israelite sons had married, it leaves three widows. One older widow, two younger widows. Bad decision. I mean, it just leaves the family up a creek without a paddle. Naomi and Ruth and Orpah are just stranded in this foreign land. It's not foreign to Ruth and Orpah, but it's foreign to Naomi. She's not among God's people. She's been dragged out of the church and plopped into a different culture with a different God, a pagan God. But by the end of the story, we see that God redeems Elimelech's bad decision. Now, it, it doesn't mean Elimelech has a great, long, and prosperous life, right? He dies. He dies in the land of Moab. He has made a mess of his family. Men, the decisions that we make impact our family. And so we need to think, are we making wise decisions? Are we making right decisions? Are we rooting our family in God's community? But keep in mind, when we don't, God can still redeem our failures, redeem our bad decisions. Let this be both a warning and an encouragement to us. The decisions that we make have massive implications for life. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are left as widows, vulnerable in their society. And yet, by the end of the story, God has redeemed this mess that Elimelech has made. Church, God redeems your bad decisions. Some of you are probably sitting here today thinking, I've made so many bad decisions. I am in a bad place. How will I ever get out of this? I've made a mess of my life. Let this be an opportunity for you to drive a stake in the ground and say, I'm, I'm going to start trying to make some better decisions. I'm going to start to try and correct some of the bad things that I've done, some of the bad decisions that I've made. But ultimately, let it be a reminder for you that God can work in the midst of our mistakes to redeem it for his glory, for our good, and the advancement of his gospel. That's the first thing that we see here. Then we move on. We also see that God also redeems bold pagans. So Ruth and Orpah are pagans. They're Moabites. They're living in the land of Moab. They're worshiping the god of Chemosh, a god of sex and violence, and there's other gods that they worship as well. They, they, they don't know much about Yahweh, the god of Israel, the god of heaven and earth, as we saw last week as we looked at the life of Rahab. They don't worship 
that God. They worship a different God. They're pagans. But we see in the midst of this, we see this transformation in Ruth where she makes a bold decision to align herself with Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and God redeems her. So as we move through the story, we get into verse 6 of chapter 1. Then she arose. This is Naomi with her daughters-in-law. Everyone has died. All of their husbands have died. There's three widows. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So they're still exiled in Moab. But she hears that the fields, in the fields of Moab, so she's out working the field like a, like a widow would. She's gleaning. She's taking the leftover crops to provide for her family. And she hears that God had visited his people and given them food. So she hears this story that in Bethlehem, it, back in Jerusalem, back among God's people, the famine is over. There's, there's prosperity again. God is starting to bless his people again. God is providing again. And, and so she sets out to return. After all these years in this foreign land with this false God in this place where I, I don't belong, I don't fit in, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to return to my people and in this day and culture, it was so, everything was so tied to marriage, right? That's why genealogies are important because it's, it, it helps us to understand who we're dealing with and what has happened and what's going on in the story. And so here, if you were to marry somebody and if a woman was to marry a man and that spouse was to die, that, that woman became a part of that family and she was bound to that family. Like my wife took my last name, Peterson. If I was to, to pass away, she wouldn't have to marry my brother, Thank the Lord <laughs> for him and you. <laughs> but in this culture, that's how it worked. You, you were part of the family. It was the family's responsibility to then take care of you if you were a widow. And so here again, Elimelech's bad decision leaves Naomi vulnerable because she's in land of Moab. There is no family. There's no one to take care of her. So she decides, I'm going to move back home where hopefully someone will take care of me, where hopefully I can find some of my old, old relatives who will take care of me. A widow moving near family makes sense. And so she's set her mind to move back home and and. Her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, because they had married her sons, they, they were a part of the family now too. So it was the normal custom that they would move with her, that, that Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they were, they were a family and you don't split the family up. But Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah to stay. That's what's happening in verses 7 through, uh, through 16 here, through 18. Ruth is telling her daughter-in-laws to stay in their hometown to find new husbands, to start a new life, to make, to make as much good out of the mess that her husband and her sons put them in. Stay in your town, find people. And verse 14 tells us that Orpah did that. She took Ruth's instruction. She stayed in Moab. Funny little fact, Oprah's name is actually Orpah. They couldn't pronounce it when she was a kid, though, so they started calling her Oprah. She was named after this character, the one who stayed in Moab and worshipped false gods. I'm not... It's probably going to go on the internet, and I'm going to get... I'm making no statement about that. That's just a fact. Um, so Orpah stays in Moab, but Ruth, there's this shift from her being a, a pagan who worships a false god, the god of Chemosh, and now all of a sudden she makes this, this bold shift to leave her country, to leave her people, to leave her gods and her, her pagan gods and to follow Naomi back 
to Bethlehem and to worship the God of the Israelites, to worship Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. Look at verse 15. So verse 14, Orpah leaves. She heads back to her land. Verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. See that? Gods, plural, multiple gods, polytheist, religion, pagan gods, lowercase g, to return return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is telling Ruth to go back home. Go back home, find a husband, restart your life, hit reset on this mess that my husband and my son has put you in. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, that's the name of God, the God of heaven, the heavens and the earth. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is a, a bold move from a previously pagan person. Ruth shifts her allegiance to Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, and to the Israelites, God's people. She's a a Gentile, a non-Jew. She's a pagan, a non-worshipper of Yahweh. But she, she commits herself to the God of the Bible and to God's people. And church, this is true for any one of us. I would guess that almost every one of us in this room are Gentiles. We're non-ethnic Jews here this morning. Why are we sitting here? Because God redeems bold pagans. Because somebody like Ruth said, I choose to follow Yahweh, the God of the Bible. I'm going to leave my culture, leave my family, leave my religion, and I'm going to align myself with Yahweh, the one true God, and I'm going to commit myself to his people, even though that, that means that I may end up living my life as a widow in a foreign land, and so now it's reversed. Naomi had lived in Moab as a, as a foreigner, and now Ruth is going to leave Moab and live in Bethlehem as a foreigner. She doesn't know what's going to hit her when she gets there. I'm leaving my life. I'm going, to be a, I'm going to move to Bethlehem where I don't know the people. I don't know the culture. I'm probably never going to find a husband. But I've seen the love that Naomi has for me. Somehow, in this relationship that God has built between Ruth and Naomi, Ruth has come to believe in Yahweh. She has come to trust Yahweh. Church, don't discount your relationships with non-believers, with pagans. That over time... This is a long relationship that has developed. And Naomi, we don't even get a picture that she's a great follower of God. We're going to talk about her in just a minute. She's a bitter old lady. But somehow, Ruth has seen God work enough that she said, I want to leave everything that I know and align myself with Yahweh, the God of the Bible. I'm I'm forsaking my religion, my gods, my people, and I'm moving into the community of God. This is my family. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. God redeems people who are far from him when we make the bold move to step into relationship with him and his people. 
So regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've worshipped, what you've thought, what you're currently at, know that the invitation is there from God for you, a Gentile, to come into his family. And then thirdly, we see that God redeems bitter Christians. So verse 19, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So now they're back in Naomi's hometown. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. They're like the rumor mill. This is a small town. The rumor mill is going like, hey, Naomi's back. Remember her foolish husband who moved her to Moab and her sons got married and they all died? Naomi's back. I wonder what, what her life has been like these last few years. I'm from a small town. You know how it goes. People talk. The whole town was stirred because of them. And they're like, and not only is Naomi back, she brought that pagan Moabite Ruth with her. And God has told us not to associate with these people because they worship Chemosh. They're a people of sex and violence and, and hatred. And they came from our descendants, Lot, and his in, incestual relationship with his daughter. We're supposed to have nothing to do with the Moabites. And so this town is gossiping, and they, they come back to town. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly. Mara means bitter. She's actually changing her name. She's telling them, no longer call me Naomi, call me bitter. I'm a bitter old woman. That's, that's the reality. God has allowed all of this to happen in my life. He, he, he caused or allowed, I don't even know what she's thinking here, but my husband to die and my two sons to die. And I have nothing left. I'm broken. I'm bitter. Verse 21, I went away full. I left Bethlehem full, went to Moab full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see this? She's like, God did this. God brought all this upon me. And she's not abandoning God. She's not giving up on God. She's not cursing God. She's just saying, I'm bitter because of what God has done in my life. So don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Let's just call a spade a spade. I'm a bitter old woman. Just call me that. And I'm bitter because of what God has done. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's where we end chapter 1. And then we see through chapter 2 and 3 that God provides the stud of a man named Boaz. Pregnant ladies who are having a son, I suggest to you the name Boaz. A lot of people are naming their daughters Ruth nowadays. Let's keep with the theme and get the counterpart Boaz. You could call him Bo for short. Nobody would make too much fun of him. Boaz, this, this, this man of God comes into the story, and God uses him as the redeemer of Naomi and Ruth. He, he ends up, well, let's look at it. Let's, so we're going to flip to the end of the story. You can read chapter 3, 2, and 3, and 4 yourself, but let's flip to, to the end here to see how God redeems this situation. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. There's no gain for Boaz in taking Ruth as his wife. This Moabite who God had said, don't associate with them. By the way, this reminds us that God always redeems people who come to him in faith. 
Okay, so God had said, don't Israel. My people have nothing to do with the Moabites. But as they're transformed, as they place their faith in God, sure, Boaz, my, my son, Mary, Ruth, she's my daughter. I would love this marriage. And there's nothing, there's nothing socially or economically, um, there, there's no social or economic reason why Boaz would marry Ruth. Boaz is this wealthy business owner who loves God. He runs a good business. He takes care of his employees. You can see this in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. He takes care of his employees. He's got everything going for him. What's the benefit of him marrying this widowed Moabite? Well, nothing, but he has compassion and God stirs in him. And it says, they, they became husband and wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. See, there's that word, redeemer. Boaz was in the family. He was actually a relative of Elimelech. So in the culture there, he was one of the ones who could redeem Naomi, redeem her land, redeem her family name, give back all the things that were lost when Elimelech died in the land of Moab. And so Boaz is related to Elimelech. And so he has, the, he has the family ability and the rights to bring Naomi back in and to redeem her story. And that's why he chooses to do it. Because God has redeemed Boaz and given Boaz a heart for the hurting, for the broken, for the bitter. Verse 14, Blessed be the day of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. See, having a son in this culture was, was so important because of the family line and the inheritance passed down through the son. But here we see that Ruth's faith, Ruth's commitment to God and God's people, Ruth staying by Naomi's side, and then Boaz coming along. They have now given, given a, a child to Ruth, to, to Naomi. Ruth had the child. It's now... Naomi's grandson, Obed. And through that line comes Jesus. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. It's Naomi's grandson. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That same phrase is used in Matthew chapter 1 as it then leads to Jesus, the Christ. See, God redeems the story. Elimelech makes a bad decision. God redeems it. Ruth is a bold pagan. God redeems her. Naomi, a bitter Christian. She's not a Christian, right, because Christ hadn't come yet. She's the Old Testament equivalent of a Christian. She's a God-fearing Jew who's become bitter with her God. But God redeems it. Look at the end of the story. And so church, the truth is there for us that God redeems bad decisions, bold pagans, and bitter Christians. If that's one of you this morning, know that God redeems. And as we close down, let's look at Galatians chapter 4, which reminds us that ultimately in Christ... God redeems our bad decisions. He redeems bold pagans who come to him through Christ in faith. And he redeems bitter Christians. 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son in the line of Ruth, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, Boaz adopted Ruth into the family, into Israel. Naomi adopted Ruth into the family, into Israel, and then Boaz took her as his wife. And in that line, in that lineage, comes Jesus, the one who ultimately adopts us into his family as sons and daughters, redeeming our bad decisions, welcoming in any pagan who would be bold enough to place their faith in him and bitter Christians. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The story of Ruth points us to Jesus, the great Redeemer, the one who ultimately redeems our bad decisions, our bold steps of faith, and times of life when we walk through bitterness. Let this be a reminder to you, church, that you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix yourself. You can't redeem yourself. We have a great redeemer, one who takes us as we are, takes our brokenness, takes our bitterness, takes our bad decisions, and redeems them for his glory, for our eternal good and the advancement of his gospel. So we're going to respond to that truth this morning with communion. There's two stations here in the front and one in the back. If you have come to Jesus in faith, if you believe that he's the one who redeems all of your mistakes, all of your attitudes, all of your emotions, as you come to Christ in faith, these elements are here for you. The bread reminds us that his body was broken for us. The cup reminds us that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we enter into this time of responsive worship, come anytime you feel led and remember that Jesus redeems. God redeems you in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You are the redeemer. Lord, I thank you for this story, the story of Ruth, that points us not to Boaz, the the temporary redeemer, but to Christ, the eternal redeemer. Lord, I, I thank you for Ruth's bold step of faith. I thank you for Naomi's admission of her bitterness and for showing us how even in the midst of Elimelech's bad decisions, you were working this plan out for your glory, for this family's eternal good, and for the advancement of your gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of that this morning. Lord, we come to you in faith, trusting that you are the Redeemer, the Redeemer of our eternal soul. So Lord, may you nourish us now as we respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.